Well, good morning. Join me in your Bibles in Colossians chapter 3. We're just going to look at four verses this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It truly has been an exciting week. Uh, I, I especially enjoyed being a part of the baptismal service last Sunday night and um, we've already had, I've had already had at least two come up to me and ask, when are we going to do that again? We've, we'd like to be baptized, and so we'll make sure we get one on the calendar again, uh, hopefully before the weather gets cold, and we can do that again. So if, if, you didn't, um, if you didn't get a chance to get baptized and the Lord's just kind of pressing that on your heart, uh, let me know and we'll add your name to the list. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, reads, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory." The Scottish preacher John McNeil liked to tell about an eagle that had been captured when it was quite young. The farmer who snared the bird put a restraint on it so that it couldn't fly. And then he turned it loose to roam in the barnyard. It wasn't long until the eagle began to act like one of the chickens, scratching and pecking at the ground. The bird that once soared high in the heavens seemed satisfied to live the barnyard life of a simple hen. Well, one day the farmer was visited by a shepherd who came down from the mountains where the eagles lived. And seeing the eagle, the shepherd said to the farmer, what a shame to keep that bird hobbled here in your barnyard. Why don't you let it go? Well, the farmer agreed, so they cut off the restraint. But the eagle continued wandering around, scratching and pecking just as before. The shepherd picked it up and set it on a high stone wall. And for the first time in months, the eagle saw the grand expanse of the blue sky and the glowing sun and the mountain peaks in the distance. And then it spread its wings, and with a leap it soared into a tremendous spiral flight up and up and up until at last it was acting like an eagle again. I fear that many of us might be a little bit like that eagle sometimes. We're too often content with seeking the earthly things. That is, living in the barnyard of earth, so to speak, when we should be soaring into the heights of spiritual realities. And and in these four verses, we see that that's what Paul wished for these Colossian Christians. Here in this section, he's making a bridge from what he talked about, we, we, we mentioned last week, we talked about the false teachers. He's, he's making a bridge there now and appealing for the Colossians to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Once again, we're going to see in these verses that the focus is Jesus Christ, as it has been all throughout the verse, all throughout the book. In fact, in these four verses, Christ is mentioned four times. So if you have your Bibles and, and uh, you've you got notes with the bulletins, uh, follow along here. As we first look at the commands, at the commands, we see in verses 1 and 2, it says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then verse 2, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. So there's, there's two commands in these two verses. First of all, seek that which is above. They really are tied in. Seek the things that are above. And then verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. Well, what is Paul getting at here? First of all, I want to just uh, make a note that first clause in, in, at the beginning of first one, he says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. He's essentially saying, if you're a Christian, if you've, we talked about this whole concept last week, where we're, when we, we become a Christian, we're identified with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ in a, in a spiritual manner. We don't actually feel those things. We don't uh, see those things take place. But the Bible says that's a reality. And so he says, if you're one of those people, if you've been raised with Christ, and in the, in the original language of the Bible, it's not an if as, it's, as if it's uncertain, but it's an if as if it's, he's, he's assuming it's true for the sake of his argument. So he's saying, basically, since you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. Your NIV Bible will read, set your hearts on things that are above. Set your affections there. Go after these things. And that word there, it literally means to devote serious effort to realize one's desire or objective. To put all your, your energy, all of your power, all of your strength into getting it. Uh, we have a two-year-old in our household, and it is amazing the determination he has when he sees something on the countertop that we have intentionally tried to set out of his reach. His determination to get up there, and get up there oh so quickly to get it, is unbelievable. When he sets his mind on that thing, he knows that we're maybe 15 feet away and we've got our back to him. And so he, he calculates. He's already a mathematician. He calculates the amount of time that it's going to take for us to hear something, to turn around, drop what we're doing, and rush over there. And he figures, I think I can do it. I, yesterday it was a glass of orange juice. And he succeeded. He won. <laughs> Not in drinking it, but in spilling it all over the kitchen floor. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, put your effort into, into this. Seek. Seek the things that are above. Put your hearts into it. What are those things above that he's challenging these believers to seek? Not once, but twice in verses 1 and 2. I think he's talking about just spiritual things. That, that is, the, maybe the character of God. Or, the, or meditating on his rule over creation. Thinking for a while about the spiritual realities that are yours because you have trusted in Jesus Christ. Taking time to meditate on the fact that you've been adopted by God. You've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. You've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. All of these spiritual realities, these spiritual truths that we find in God's word and that we experience as we come to Christ, he says, these heavenly realities, these spiritual truths, he says, I want you to set your mind on these things. I want you to seek after these things. If, you've, if you're familiar with the Psalms, you'll know that this was the heart of the psalmist. He said in, in Psalm 119, verses 36 through 37, he says, Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, and give me life in your ways. In Psalm 73, 25, he wrote, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say that, truthfully say that, 
There is nothing on this earth, O God, that I desire besides you. The psalmist was saying that that God was supreme in his affections and his pursuits. And it caused him to, to look at earthly things in a different way. Jesus, of course, taught the same thing. He said in well, a very familiar passage in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, he says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And it's a sad reality, but many of us are pouring our lives into things that don't ultimately matter. We're spending our money on stuff. We're spending our time and stuff. And, 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 and in the end, many of these things are just empty, rea- empty, empty uh, vapors that we're chasing after. We scramble around and try to build our little kingdoms here on earth when we should be directing our affections toward heaven. And it's important to step back and, and ask ourselves on a regular basis, what, what, are, what is my purpose in life? What are my goals in life? What am I pursuing what am I expending my, my energy on? What am I expending my time and my resources on? Because if we truly ask that question, some of us are going to find out that we're pursuing things that God has told us not to pursue. That we're using our life for things that ultimately don't matter in the end. And so he says, set our minds, set our affections on things above. And, and that, that is the second command here, set our mind on, on that which is above. And I, and I think that there's a, a subtle difference. First of all, he says, seek the things that are above. And the other one is, set your mind on things above and not our things on earth. The first command has to do with the way I live, but the second is, is the way I think. And, and they're not separate from each other because the, the way that I think drives the way that I live. And so ultimately, he's saying from start to finish, from your thinking to the, the practical outworking of your faith, let it be the things above, the heavenly realities that you're driving towards, that you're pursuing. And he contrasts it there in verse 2. He says, on heavenly things rather than earthly things. What, what are the earthly things that he's talking about? He's obviously including sinful temptations, the pursuits and, and materials and, and attitudes, uh, but um, more subtle, subtle temptations like the pursuit of material possessions. And not only that, but I, I, as one writer wrote, uh, but the immaterial things of this world, earthly honors, uh, positions, advancement, some of, you, some of you know what it's like to be people pleasers at heart. You want accolades from your friends. You're in high school and you just want people to like you. Or you're in your workplace and you just want pats on the back from your coworkers. And, and too often, striving for those things means that we're, we're not seeking heavenly realities. We've made these little things an idol in our life. And Paul wants us through God, to, to set aside those things. So how do we do this? How do we set our minds on heavenly things and on spiritual realities? Well, first of all, remember that it's a choice. We choose what we allow our minds to, to soak in and, and to settle upon. When you find yourself daydreaming, what do you, what do you find yourself daydreaming about? Is it about spiritual realities? 
Is it about God? Is it about His character? Is it about the truths of Jesus Christ? Or is it about what, what you're going to do if you hit the lottery? Or what you're going to do if, if you have this person like you the way that you really want them to like you? He says, rather than setting our mind on earthly things, direct our affections toward heaven. And then he tells us why. Why we're supposed to do this in verse 3. He says in verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So first of all, he says you've died. And again, that ties back again to the spiritual reality, the spiritual union with Christ. And he's saying our spiritual death cuts us off from our old way of thinking. He says may have, before, you may have been just fine with this. You pursued the things of the earth, and, and that was okay because you were, you were not a Christian, and you didn't have these new desires and new affections and new motivations and new goals. But he says, now you've died. If you read Romans 7, Paul uses an illustration in there to, to explain the significance of spiritual death. When we're united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, spiritual death cuts us off. It, it's kind of like, it's, it's, and, and he, uses, he uses the example in, in Romans 7 of, of marriage. And he said, if, if a spouse is, if someone's married and their spouse dies, well, they're free now to get remarried. Why? Because, because a death has happened. That, that person is no longer here on earth. And so now that spouse, the living spouse, can choose whether he or she will get remarried. And there's nothing wrong with that because, because the, the death, Paul says, um, made that okay, that she's been she or he has been freed from that, that marriage commitment that they, they made. And then now they're, they're free to make it with another person if they want. That's okay, Paul says. And he says, in the same way, you died to sin. You've been cut off now, and you're no longer under that, that old covenant to sin, so to speak. And that's what he's, he's, he's motivating the Colossians here, the Colossian Christians. He says, you guys have died. Everything has changed. And, and you're no longer to live the same way that you did back when you were tied to sin. His other motivation, he says in verse 3, is because your life is hidden with Christ in God. And I think this simply means that we are now uh, unable to be separated from Christ. We're totally secure in Him. You remember when Jesus told the, the disciples in John chapter 10 that, that, uh, that we, are, we are held in the Father's hand. And that no one can pluck us from the Father's hand. That's a great truth. That's an amazing spiritual reality that, that we are now secure. If you've trusted in Christ, you belong to Him. And He says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. No matter how much Satan looks for you, no matter how hard he tries to take you away, you are, you are nestled into Jesus Christ, so to speak. You have, been, you have been brought into the body of Christ. And there is... There is, as, as Jesus said, there is no one who can snatch you out of my Father's hand. And he said, because of these things, because of these truths, set your minds on things that are above. And then the outcome is mentioned in verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. For now, it is our job to set our minds on things above. 
But one day Jesus Christ will appear and there will be no temptation, there will be no distractions to set our minds on things on earth because everything will be consumed with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yesterday, my older boys and I, we were on our way to, uh, to Saginaw to go to the outdoor uh, Christian music festival that was taking place. And uh, we started talking about heaven, and, and Jaden asked me, he's like, Dad, will, will heaven ever be boring? And I said, you know what? I thought for the longest time, Jaden, that it would be. Um, I went to a, a church when I was little where the worship service was, just I'll just put it nice, it was lifeless. There, there wasn't there, the Holy Spirit's energy. It just wasn't, it, people, I look, I'm looking around at the adults, and I'm like, None of you guys want to be here. How can you expect a kid to want to be here too? You guys all look miserable. And you're singing to the creator of the heavens and earth. And even as a, as a kid, I, I understood that there's just something not right here. There's a disconnect between the words that you're singing and, and the, the heart attitude that you have. And, and so as he asked me that, I said, I, I, was, I was right there as a kid. I thought heaven was going to be one long, unending, boring church service. I mean, because that's what, I, that's what I, I was experiencing as a kid. I wanted, out of, I wanted church to be over. I was always cranking my head around to look at the clock on the back wall to see when this thing would be over because, because I, I didn't see life. I didn't see, I didn't see people, and I'm sure, I'm sure that there was worship going on. I just, I just didn't see it, and I didn't sense it in my own heart. And it's, it's probably, maybe I wasn't even saved then as, as, at that age, but I just, I sense there's got to be more than this. And when I see pictures of heaven, when I see pictures of the throne room, or when I, see, when I read Revelation and I see John's heavenly visions of what's taking place there, it just, I'm, just, I'm just amazed. We are going to be forever enthralled with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There will be no one checking their watches in heaven. There will be no one thinking, I wonder if there's something better going on. I wonder if there's a... There's a, there's a more exciting event down at the VFW tonight that I can be a part of. There's nothing else happening but worship. And I, and I said, I, I told Jaden, we, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it. I said, but the Bible says there's going to be a new heavens, a new earth. It's not like we're just going to be in one big worship sanctuary and that's all heaven is. Heaven is going to be all the things that we enjoy here on earth, only way better, the lakes and the, the mountains and the streams and the oceans. I think all those things are still going to be there. They're just going to be untainted with sin, which we can't even fathom. And so verse 4 is reminding us that for now, set your mind on, on things above, but there will be one day where, where you won't even have the distractions of earth. You won't have the materialism uh, lapping at your feet, and you won't, have, you won't have temptations to waste your time on, on things like the, the internet and Facebook and all those things that just suck us away so easily from, from our Savior, Jesus Christ. All those temptations will be gone. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do. If you found yourself longing for heaven, it's okay to do that. It's okay to think about what it's going to be like. It's okay to set your mind on things above and on the future. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, he said, It doesn't mean that we're to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. 
The apostles themselves who set, a foot, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have largely become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Wow. What piercing words. A tremendous motivator to seek that which is heavenly rather than the things of earth is that Jesus Christ is one day coming back for you and me. Last Wednesday night, Elise and I had a chance to go out for dinner and spend some time together. And on the way home, I don't know if any of you saw the sunset last Wednesday night. It was just absolutely gorgeous. The skies were lit up with colors. It was radiant. And the clouds were just beautifully interspersed throughout the heavens and, and thick in some places. In other places, the, the clear blue sky peeked through. There were stark contrasts between some of the lighter and darker ones as the rays of light were hitting them in, in different ways. And I, as just as we were driving along back towards Claire, watching that, I just got to thinking, wouldn't it be amazing right now if Jesus Christ burst through those clouds at this very second? Wouldn't that be the greatest, most amazing thing in all of the world to see our Savior, Jesus Christ? Somehow we feel like guilty thinking that. Like, oh, I've still got to raise my kids and I've still got, I've got an appointment next Wednesday they got to keep. And, oh, I'd like to do this still here before Jesus comes back. And Put all that stuff aside. The the biblical writer said, Even so, Lord, come quickly. And that should be our heart as well. It would be the greatest thing right now, and many of you will give a hearty amen to this, if my sermon was interrupted with the last trump. (laughs) If our I would gladly be interrupted by Jesus Christ at any time. And welcome my Savior to come back. Don't ever feel guilty for letting your minds be occupied with that. Some of us have bought into this teaching that, oh, Christians, you've got to be careful about being too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. For many of us, we're no earthly good because we're not heavenly minded enough. And our minds need to be set on things above. And so, in conclusion, I just just want to give um, a few practical things, and they're they're in your notes there, of, of setting our minds on things above. Because some of you are out there and you're like, okay, well, time out, pastor. Listen, I've got dirty diapers to change. I've got, I've got family problems that I've got to deal with. I've got bills to pay. I've got a job to go to at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. This is all great. I can think about things that are above while I'm at church and maybe a few minutes when I do devotions in the morning, but I've got life to live. So how is this practical for me when I've got so many things that I, I can't, I barely made it here on time this morning. How can I set my minds on things above when I've got life swirling on around me? And see, I don't think that it's either or. For some of us guys, that's hard to figure, hard to do because I, I can't chew gum and walk at the same time. But, but in reality, God wants us to live life doing all of these things while our minds are set on things above while we're focused on doing these things for God's glory. So that I'm, 
we're told in Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, do everything to the glory of God. Even the simplest and most menial tasks, taking a, a drink of water in the morning, changing that poopy diaper in the morning, raising your kids, keeping doctor's appointments, going to work, all these things should be done for the glory of God. And we do them, I believe, if our minds are set on things above, we do them and, and we see some of these outcomes. Um, first of all, having our mind set on things above brings great joy. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. In the presence of God, when we spend time in the presence of God with our mind set on things above, he says, is fullness of joy. Paul wrote in Romans 15, 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Did you know that God is interested in our joy? There is no command in Scripture that Christians are to be miserable, morose, and somber, and grumpy. All those things, uh, sometimes maybe we inherited from our church tradition or because of our, our, some of our own sins, but, but God, is, God is concerned with our joy. And as we set our minds on things above, as we're thinking about the greatness of our God and the, the fact that this great God loved a sinner like me so much that he chose me and, and sent his son to die for me, those truths can't help but cause joy to erupt and well over in our hearts. And when we're meditating on those truths throughout the day, that joy can permeate our, our living, even in the midst of difficult times. Secondly, setting our, our minds on things above guides my speech. Anybody here ever got in trouble with what they're talking about? <laughs> and even maybe on a, if we categorize sin, okay, we, there are times when we just say things we really shouldn't say. But then other times our, our conversations are just, I don't know, just about nothing. We, 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 we talk about, I mean, it's easy for me to sit down and, and talk forever about the Detroit Tigers or about the weather or about how, how um, whatever is happening in my life. But how easy is it to sit down and talk with, sit down, I, I mean, is there anybody you greeted this morning and said, how are you going in your walk with God? Are you battling any sin right now that I can, I can pray for you for? Do you need any, any spiritual encouragement today? Or what have you been reading in God's Word that's, that He's using to work on your life right now? But instead, we, we often just, grad, just gravitate towards the simple. Hey, did you, did you watch the ball game last night? Not that there's anything wrong with talking about the ball game, but does our conversation, do we ever turn things towards spiritual things? I was talking with, with somebody uh, just, just this morning. I won't embarrass him, but he was... He was chatting with somebody at the hospital. And he said, it just kind of came out of my mouth. Are you, are you, how are you with the Lord? Do, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? When our minds are set upon heavenly things, I believe that God's Spirit is going to guide our speech and direct us to talk about the things of God, to build up one another in our faith. We're going to find out in Colossians chapter 4, he says, let your speech be, be seasoned with salt. Let it be gracious so that it may build up those who hear. And when our minds are occupied with heavenly realities, our speech is going to be guided and directed towards spiritual things. 
Having our, our mind set on things above also helps us keep our priorities straight. When I'm filtering everything through a grid of heavenly-mindedness, of, of does this please God, does this bring glory to God, it helps me know how I should use the things that God has given me, like my time and my money and my talents and my gifts and my, my energy, my health. Helps me keep my priorities straight. I can ask myself, is this something that's going to bring glory to God or is this going to distract me from the goals that he has for my life? And then lastly, it helps me kill sin. Thomas Colmers, who was considered the greatest Scottish preacher of the 19th century, once preached a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And in his sermon, he said, if we want to get rid of sin in our life, Spend less time saying, stop doing that, and turn in people's minds toward the glories of Jesus Christ. If I want, to, if I want, to, if I want my, my two-year-old to stop playing with something he shouldn't do, one of the most effective things is to give him something, a toy that he, he will appreciate more. And he'll drop that knife or whatever <laughs> and turn towards this toy that, that he loves to play with. And, and, and Colmer said in his sermon that the same thing should be true of us. That one of the most effective ways, and God gives us different motivations for turning from sin and turning towards Christ, but I think one of the most glorious is that rather than, than harping on don't do this, don't do that, harp on how great our God is. Because if we're enraptured with our God, we're going to much more quickly turn away from these things that will all of a sudden start to look pretty, a pretty poor substitute for our affections. And so as I, as I set my mind on heavenly things, I'm going to be less drawn towards sin and more drawn to the greatness of our God. Around A.D. 150, the astronomer and mathematician Ptolemy came up with a, a theory that all the planets in our solar system, including the sun, revolved around the earth. And that was kind of the generally accepted theory until about 1,500 years later when a man named Copernicus came along and said, that's, that's not true. In my observation and my studies, it's actually the earth that, and all the other planets that revolve around the sun. I heard a pastor one time say that, you know, spiritually speaking, many Christians are stuck in the, in the dark ages. For many of us, we think that, that life revolves around the earth. When in reality, life should revolve around the sun. S-O-N. I just want to ask you this morning, what is, what is your life revolving around? What are, your, what are your mind and affections set upon? Is it the things of the earth? Or is it the glorious, spotless Son of God who gave himself for you to redeem you from all lawlessness? May our minds gravitate towards him this week. May we be reminded that he is more infinitely glorious than anything our world has to offer. Let's pray. God, this, this morning, some of us are, are convicted because we recognize that we've been too captivated by the things of this world. Our, 
energies, our, our, our devotions, our allegiances have, have been uh, directed towards stuff or, or our, our calendar, our schedules, pursuing the wrong thing. God, I pray for any of us who have been convicted of that. May we recognize that there is, first of all, forgiveness in Jesus Christ. May none, none of us recognize or re- believe that we have to wallow in that guilt and, and live lives of regret, but understand that Jesus Christ has paid for that and, and His forgiveness is free if we ask for it. And then may we set our hearts to pursue You with reckless abandon. God, I pray that this week our minds would be centered in on heaven, heavenly realities. And that as we focus on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the spiritual truths that we find uh, just uh, all throughout Scripture, that it would affect the way that we live here on earth. It would affect how I deal with sin. It would affect my priorities. It would affect the things that I talk about so that we can be more effective for the kingdom of God. And I thank you for what you're going to do in the hearts and lives of the men and women here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.